Hi, this is Sharice Kenyon, and you're listening to the Beauty Me podcast, all about beauty beyond the BS. This week, it's a beauty news roundup. I'm talking about the latest print issue of Allure magazine and dipping into the history of the title. And I'll be talking about the early reactions to Sephora's online store here in the UK and briefly wondering what Taylor Swift's visuals for her new album Midnight's could look like. So first of all, Allure magazine, if you know me in real life, you will know I am a regular reader right now. I can see I've got about 25 copies of the magazine in this room and I can't remember when I first discovered it. I can't remember the first issue. I might have to go digging in my collections, but I just remember how amazing I thought it was to have an entire magazine dedicated to beauty. It felt like it was this gift that I could really be indulgent with and take my time with just going through every article, every feature, every statistic. And I'm pretty sure Allure magazine had something to do with me becoming a beauty writer and editor. In the UK, we've never really had a magazine like Allure, I don't think. I don't think we've had anything dedicated to beauty. Instead, it's always been about fashion magazines that would, over time, increase the amount of attention they gave to beauty content. So there'd be sections, maybe there'd be special supplements, but sometimes it would just be a page. And I think as the years have gone on in print magazines, especially the level of beauty content usually correlates with the amount of advertising that's from beauty brands. It's changing today as we are spending so much more on beauty products, treatments and hair and nails. In the UK alone, apparently the average person spent around £400 on skincare last year. But I feel like I know quite a few people that would easily double or triple that amount. So I'm I'm not sure how large these studies are, but it definitely makes sense that more magazines should make beauty more of a focus, especially When we are in times of, you know, there's a recession approaching, we might not have the cash to spend on a Gucci bag, but you may well buy a Gucci blusher. So beauty is still big business. But the reason why Allure magazine has always stood out is because beauty is always its main focus. And it's not just about products. They have their annual Best of Beauty and Reader's Choice Awards. But there are also many opportunities for deep conversations around how we feel about aging, our bodies and beauty in general, as well as some of the more like what I used to like was the very kind of statistics based pages kind of leaned into my inner geek side. I do like statistics and how they can kind of tell us more about ourselves. And I think, again, the subjects in Allo are very much the subjects that I like to talk about in this podcast. From the beginning, Allure labelled itself as the beauty expert and I do feel like it's always been that and I've always felt that the magazine was a labour of love and it's definitely one that would not have existed without Linda Wells. Linda went from working for Vogue and the New York Times to starting her own title in 1991, which I can only imagine telling your kind of employers or your publishing house that you want to create a title that's only about beauty it must have taken a lot of determination and foresight I really think she was ahead of her time in recognizing the space that beauty took up and takes up in women's lives as well as being the founder Linda was editor-in-chief at Allure until 2015 
And when she left, it was a huge story at the time. And the Condé Nast president, Bob Sauerberg, said, When Linda Wells launched Allure, it broke new ground and redefined the beauty category. And she leaves us with that rich heritage to build upon. While Linda's replacement, former Nylon editor Michelle Lee, got to work, Linda went on to become the chief creative officer of Revlon, which saw her launch a new beauty brand called Flesh. Everybody got quite excited about it when it first came out. And apparently it was Revlon's attempt to take on Fenty Beauty. That's pretty much an impossible proposition for anyone. And while Flesh definitely started out having some really cool visuals, the products actually looked pretty solid, kind of reminded me of the clean style of Glossier, but with a little vintage spin when it came to the fonts. And it was definitely focused on diversity from the start. The brand died out in 2020. I feel that Michelle Lee did a really good job of keeping Allure going and also ensuring it kept up with developments in technology and content in general. I don't know if you've seen any of the Allure Spend the Day With series on YouTube. It's really cool you get to spend a day with a lifeguard or a dancer or a bodybuilder and just go through their morning routines, the beauty products they rely on. Michelle also introduced the Allure podcast, which launched in December 2018. For me, when it came out, I really thought, yeah, this is a vehicle to make more money, which makes sense. Print was dying down. It's good to move into other arenas. And of course, the Allure team definitely had the expertise and the content to share. However, there haven't been any new episodes of the Allure podcast since July 2021. And I don't know if that's because Michelle's replacement, Jessica Krull, has bigger fish to fry or if it didn't prove to be so lucrative or perhaps it's on its way back. When Jessica Krull went from being content director to editor-in-chief at Allure, it absolutely made sense. Before she was head of content, Jessica had also worked in the role of features director at the magazine and her voice would often be heard on the podcast. So it just makes sense that she would move up because she had an invested interest in the magazine. and I truly think she is invested in the Allure audience. So since Jessica's been in, I've definitely been excited for what's next for the magazine. But there's also this tiny feeling I have. And, you know, this is my show. I feel like I can use it to share opinions. I definitely could be wrong here, though. But I feel that there is a pattern that's come up where a mainstream print magazine hits a crisis point. For British Vogue, Edward Eninfall was brought in as the first black and gay male to hold the title in 106 years in 2017. At Harper's Bazaar US, Samira Nasir made history as the first woman of colour to edit the 150-year-old title when she arrived in 2020. That's two titles with hundreds of years of being in print. And it's only in the last few years they've been entrusted to a person of colour. I don't know. It just makes me uncomfortable because I'm wondering if it's a case of these struggling print titles, you know, that have often owned their old buildings. They've just got this heritage of being like the biggest brands that we'll see. And it's like they start to realize we're struggling. Print is down. Things are kind of a mess. I definitely think in the case of Harper's Bazaar US, there might also have been the whole post Black Lives Matter movement. It almost feels to me like some of these titles think, let's bring in a person of color. They'll guarantee us, you know, a position of looking diverse. And maybe they can fix things too. 
It feels like a gamble and almost like a test and definitely a huge job because there's no guaranteed success, particularly in a post-pandemic economy. As I said, I could be wrong. This is something that I have just thought about now and then. And while I do want these moves to be purely down to each editor's absolute right to be there, I'm nervous that if these titles continue to struggle, then it's going to be the latest editor that happens to be a person of colour who gets the blame. Because even though you can change a name on a masthead, there are often deep-seated, flawed policies and processes that can still keep that editor tied to a really archaic way of working. And things are even more difficult if you are British Vogue editor Edward Enninfall and you're being racially profiled trying to enter the office of your own magazine. So, yeah. It can't just be down to the editor being in touch with the audience. The entire organisation needs to reflect the people it supposedly caters to. That's my concern. But that aside, of course, it's clear that print has been struggling for years. And in fact, that's the reason why the December issue of Allure is going to be the brand's final print run. One thing that is undeniable, though, is that since Jessica Krull started as editor, the content of Allure has got better and better So I'm hoping that going out of print is simply a necessary pivot in order for the brand to evolve. I definitely believe in the concept of change or die in life and in business. So yeah, I think Jessica is the perfect person for this job. She was already making important moves when she was content editor at Allure, launching the Melanin Edit in 2021 as a way for the title to give time and space to beauty as black and brown people experienced it. You know, I've loved Allure for years, but obviously I've noticed that I don't think diversity was ever one of its key reasons for existing. And I feel that Jessica has been crucial to bringing that in. And I think her guidance is crucial to the survival of the magazine. So just to wrap this segment up, I want to talk about the latest print cover, which stars Sierra, because I don't love it. I love the shoot. I just don't love the cover image. I'm definitely a big Sierra fan. I remember when she first came out, she had this really amazing combination of being beautiful, but very strong. She had a kind of like a tomboy vibe and some of her songs would obviously reflect that and song like a boy. She had this ability to kind of do beautiful and strong at the same time. Today, as well as being a singer, she's also one of the latest celebs with a skincare brand. So it makes sense that she would close out the print issue. The only reason I don't love the cover image is purely because of the hairstyle. It just makes me think of Elvis Presley as if he had an afro. I just don't enjoy it. But that doesn't mean I don't love every other image in this shoot. That doesn't mean I don't think hairstylist Cesar Ramirez did an amazing job. The rest of the shoot is perfection. One thing that I do like about the cover is the makeup. It's a really colourful cover. It's shot by photographer Peter Ashley and the makeup by Samuel Paul is stunning. Sierra's got this really pretty iridescent pink highlighter accentuating her cheekbones and brow bone. But as a former magazine editor, I personally would have gone with one of the other images from the shoot. My first choice would be Sierra looking very much like a goddess. She's wearing these really long extensions. She's got a flawless complexion. I don't doubt there's an element of retouching there, you know, these are magazines that's what they do 
but Sierra does have a stunning complexion. I've seen it on a few videos and her skin is highlighted with just this scattering of glitter on her forehead. And to me, the image is really timeless. It would have looked stunning as the cover. My second option for cover would be the stunning twisted braids look where her bone structure is extended with a really clever take on blush. I feel there's a trend that's starting. It's almost like a rounded shape on the cheeks. So instead of sculpting cheeks with like quite straight lines, it's more rounded and it's just really pretty. I'm definitely going to share my thoughts visually over on TikTok as well. So look out for that. The cover story itself is definitely a must read because, well, not just because, but it's written by former guest and recent author Darian Simone Harvin. Darian came on the show to talk with me about Skims for episode 93, and she recently launched her first book, Black Icons in Her Story, 50 Legendary Women. So congrats, Darian, if you're listening, I'll definitely share a link to the book in the show notes. So back to my point of this being the run up to the final print issue of Allure. I think as a diehard reader, I've been looking at Allure winding down its print as the end of an era and I'm a bit in my feelings about it. Allure is one of several titles that has made the decision to go digital. It makes sense. Teen Vogue, I think, is doing pretty well. Health and wellness title Self also went digital and I used to buy Self and I have to say the online version does not look the same. It does. It doesn't look great. But Allure has always been a very beautiful title packed with real content that you want to read. Very relevant. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the future plays out for Allure. Let me know if you're a fan too over on Beauty Me Podcast on Twitter or Instagram and head to my TikTok at Sharice Kenyon to see my analysis of the Sierra cover. Next up, let's talk about the recent arrival of Sephora in the UK. It's not for the first time we had a brief dose of the iconic black and white branding back in 2000 when nine stores opened up over here. But five years later, they all closed and there wasn't any kind of explanation given. So you can imagine how excited the UK was when we first started to hear rumbles that Sephora was coming back. I don't know if everyone listening has been to a Sephora store in the States or certain parts of Europe, but it's definitely got its own kind of vibe. It's literally a mecca of beauty. The staff mostly feel like they really know their stuff, that they really want to be there. They in the makeup department, they often have amazing skills. But then for me, I do think there's a distinct difference between American customer service and UK customer service. But I think that's a conversation for another day. I just feel like walking into Sephora is just, it's all about you, the customer being excited. There's a buzz of excitement. The many times that I've been to a Sephora store in the States, my husband will come in with me and he'll wander around, but I think even he knows that a purchase is imminent. I don't think, does anybody walk into Sephora and without buying something? I don't think so. That's the power of Sephora, I think. But for now, the UK buzz is more of a hum. We're not going to see a store until spring. That's going to be in London. So for now, Sephora UK is online only and the brand has subsumed the Feel Unique website, which has been a popular online beauty retailer over here. It already had 1.3 million active users and Sephora bought it back in September 2021. 
As someone who regularly shops online for beauty, I think I'll wait for spring and check out the actual in-store experience. And I feel like many of my Instagram community feels the same. I've had quite a few DMs asking what is going to be special about the new online venture. And people all over the internet, especially TikTok, are kind of mocking the lack of exclusive brands as well as the sheer offering. People are just like, there's nothing special here. And they keep asking for brands that they really want for the, from the States to come over. So it feels like the general consensus right now is if you want us to spend with you, as opposed to Cult Beauty, Space NK, Look Fantastic, Beauty Bay, what's in it for us as the customer? As I mentioned, the first store is going to open in London next year. And right now it just feels like Sephora is playing things very cautiously until then. And I think the whole festive shopping period is going to be a big time for them to kind of check out what kind of chunk of the market could they take. One thing that I am excited about, though, is news that in the US, Sephora is launching a same day delivery subscription. So think Deliveroo for beauty. I could absolutely use this. Like right now, I have no SPFs. If somebody could send me an SPF in the next two hours, I would do it. So the premise of this concept is that customers will pay $49 per year to order through the site or via an app and their products will arrive two hours later. That could be huge and would absolutely shake established UK brands like Boots and Superdrug to their core if Sephora rolls that out over here too. So let's see. In the meantime, let me know what you think. Are you excited for Sephora Online? Have you already shopped there? Or are you going to wait it out like me for the classic in-store Sephora experience next spring? Finally, I'm just going to close this out with a kind of different segment for me. I just haven't been able to stop listening to the new Taylor Swift album, Midnights. I'm actually going to blame Beyonce because... As someone joked on Instagram earlier this week, it feels like she released Renaissance two years ago, not just a few months ago. I think fans have been thirsting for some visuals from Beyonce's album. All she's given us is a teaser and a Tiffany's advert, which is great for her. She made a ton of money, but we're just dying for some visuals. So when Taylor launched Midnight's along with 20 lyric videos and one five-minute video, for probably the most popular song so far, Antihero, she set the internet ablaze. I think people are just going to be a little bit quieter about Beyonce now because Taylor has in fact made history. Midnight is officially the most streamed album in a single day in Spotify history. That's really huge. I actually think this is down to the fact that the album has this kind of nostalgia about it. I feel like it's the kind of album that any teen or anyone who's ever been a teen can relate to. It touches on themes of lost love, dark, lonely nights and self-loathing. Definitely something that we can all relate to, I think. And for me, it says that we can definitely expect some really striking videos. I can't wait to see them. It looks like they're going to be released as a short film on Amazon Music because Taylor shared a short teaser that showed lots of little snippets from really colourful videos. So far, we've only got the one video, as I mentioned, um, for Antihero. It looks really 70s, almost 80s, but very 70s, warm tones of reds, oranges and browns and lots of clashing prints on the wallpaper, the carpets, Taylor's clothes. She seems to be playing with concepts of herself and 
some rather punishing alter egos. And she also watches her own funeral as her three adult children argue about who gets what. It's kind of funny and it also hints at that human obsession with mortality. But anyway, let me know if you're looking forward to seeing more Taylor or if you're definitely absolutely not a Swifty. Let me know. Thanks so much for listening. Do please stay in touch on Twitter or Instagram at Beauty Me Podcast. And like I just said, head to my TikTok. You'll see my alert cover breakdown and some Taylor Swift stuff. That's at Sharice Kenyon. There's also the newsletter over at beautymenotes.substat.com. And you can also email me, beautymepodcast at gmail.com. Don't hesitate to get in touch if you've got an idea of what you'd like to hear more of on the show and tag me when you're listening on social. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would be amazing if you could follow, subscribe and leave a review. I'll see you next time. 